This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. I'm Robbie Greenfield and alongside me is Chris McCarty and Sona Rapani. Working our way through the years, we'll highlight world events, cultural achievements and the stories that have been forgotten. I wanted to start with the real top line stuff, the big stories from the year. Here's a story of 28,000 rubber ducks that were (laughs) lost at sea. Um, This story became christened Moby Duck. (laughs) And actually, in an article published in the Independent newspaper about 20 years later in 2011... The ducks were still at large. It went missing. They went missing. They, they were basically in a shipping container. And uh, <laughs> this, this article said that after 20 years lost at sea, a flotilla of plastic ducks has been hailed for revolutionising mankind's knowledge of ocean science. The toys were part of a shipment of 29,000 ducks, frogs, turtles and beavers <laughs> made in China for a US firm called First Years Inc. They were in a crate that fell off the deck of a container ship during a journey across the Pacific from Hong Kong in January of 1992. And since that moment, they've bobbed tens of thousands of miles. Some washed up in Hawaii, some made it to Alaska, others have been stuck in the Arctic ice, a few crossed the site near Newfoundland where the Titanic sank, and at least one is believed to have been found on a beach in Scotland. That is really remarkable, the idea that this amount of cargo was all together and still, despite probably dealing with similar currents and similar directions of the water, had spread that far. Yeah, they've actually taught us a lot about currents and they've also laid bare a largely ignored threat to the marine environment, which is the vast numbers of containers that fall off the world's cargo ships. So that was a big story, believe it or not. Moby Duck. <laughs> Moby Duck. Did um, you christen it Moby Duck? No, I didn't. I'd love to be able to claim that I was that clever, but no, I did not. I just pinched it from a newspaper yeah. headline. Yeah. I the- also love how it's the ducks, frogs, turtles, and beavers. Mm. Never, what never are heard people of people doing with plastic beavers? Never heard of a plastic yeah. beaver, but hey Hanging out in the bath with a plastic <laughs> beaver. I don't know about that. Right, the first text message was sent in De- on December the 3rd, 1992. Um, I, you'll probably, I'm sure we talked about this on the show before. It said Merry Christmas, even though it was on December the 3rd, because the person who sent it was at a Christmas party at the time. <laughs> that was the first ever text. Yep. It was sent on Richard Jarvis's Orbitel 901 mobile phone, which was gigantic but technically mobile by uh, 1992 standards. One of those massive things with the mm. aerial. Like one of those, it. what was it? Uh, what was the skit? Dom Jolly. Yes. Do you remember? Yeah, Dom Jolly. Yeah, what was that name? When he always used to pick up the phone, go, hello, and it would be yeah. this enormous mobile phone yeah. that he'd always used to answer in a public place. Oh, that was when, fir- when, when people first started using mobile phones yeah. and had, having these really loud conversations in public. He just did a whole spoof of that. Some but, people um, still have loud conversations. Yeah, in exactly. Now, now we just do it with different means. On April the 12th, Euro Disney opened in Paris. French citizens didn't like it. Um, They actually saw it as an invasion of American commercialism. Mm -hmm. Disney CEO Michael Eisner was hit with eggs and presented with Mickey Go Home (laughs) protest signs when he appeared at the Paris Stock Exchange. And I'm not surprised because here's a clip from his speech and it doesn't exactly set pulses racing. I'm honored to be here today to celebrate with all of you something not even Walt Disney himself ever imagined. A Disney theme park and resort in Europe. It's very exciting to be here for the dedication of Euro Disneyland. For my family and me, Disney or Disney, 
has returned to Europe. Oh, my Lord. Is that what it's called in French? <laughs> Décennie. Décennie. <laughs> uh, French commentators called it a cultural Chernobyl. Oh, that's harsh. Yeah. Um, the park was eventually renamed Disneyland Paris. It became the most visited tourist attraction in Europe. In 2015, it attracted more visitors than the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower combined, which is just yeah. sad. To it's, I mean, that's just a, a sad indictment on, oh, on humanity, on, isn't it? Families. People are allowed yeah, to like I know, Disneyland. I know, but it just, to me, it is lowest common denominator stuff. Anyway, um, the, the traffic has, or at least the visitor traffic, has actually not led to a profitable park because it has continually faced financial troubles over the decades. Interesting. Super Mario Kart started the Mario Kart racing game franchise on August the 27th when it debuted in Japan. It was released in September in the US and it actually was the first game to boast a multiplayer split screen mode as well as what were at the time excellent graphics, at least for the SNES, the Super Nintendo. And again, I I will play this little clip and I will ask the question, why didn't we all go mad in the 90s? I mean, how did we sit for hours playing that stuff and listening to that theme music? The memories, Rob. I've got goosebumps listening to that. I've spent many an hour whittling away my life playing that game. Loved it. Unbelievable. Great way to get your mates round, game of Super Mario Kart, perfect it, little cheats. I loved it. Still do. This is niche, but the JPEG was born Oh, in 1992. Nice. I mean, computer geeks uh, out there will be loving this. <laughs> and I, I've learned what it stands for as well. And I could never have told you, but it stands for the Joint Photographic Experts Group. I did not know that. Nice little trivia to have. Uh, formed in 92 to develop the compression standard. On September the 18th, the first JPEG standard was published. And the rest is computer's history. The JPEG's ability to handle photographs and other kind of detailed imagery while tossing out extraneous data makes it very similar to the MP3. You know what that is? That is an absolute pub quiz question if ever there was Mm. one. What does the JPEG stand for? How many people would get that? you'd You'd need a multiple choice. Wouldn't you? Yeah, you'd be, you would. But who'd get the Joint Photographic Experts Kev. Group? Maybe Kev would get that Probably right, but would. that's about it. It's brilliant, though. And finally, here's an uplifting one. The Innocence Project was founded in 1992 by lawyers Peter Newfeld and Barry Sheck. And the organisation's mission was to exonerate wrongfully convicted people and reform the criminal justice system that convicted them in the first place. One of their key tools was DNA analysis, which sometimes was not available at the time of conviction. We've actually featured people on this show that have actually had their wrongful convictions overturned due to DNA analysis. And to date, the Innocence Project has been involved with hundreds of exonerations, including cases in which they've helped find the actual perpetrator. And I looked them up. They're still live and kicking. We're on to movies now, and the highest-grossing movie in 1992 was Aladdin. Oh, you seem disappointed with that. Aladdin was brilliant. I watched it. I enjoyed it. It's a bit meh. Oh, come on. You're not a Disney fan, are you, Chris? No, I'm just not. Animals and Disney. (laughs) Trot on. A whole new world that does nothing for you? (laughs) Okay. Well, luckily, I knew this subliminally. That's why I didn't clip up any Aladdin. (laughs) Well done. Because the second... 
considering me, I would have loved yeah, to have been listeners, I'm their listeners, Rob. You don't well, have to pander to that, me. That, yeah, that, no, I didn't like clearly. it. I, I didn't love it either, clearly, to, to be Chris quite honest. Trumps me. All right, go yeah, on. Don't pander to me, Rob. It's the listeners and so on. All right, I apologise. Hey, listen, we're giving it its, its piece I'm in the sun. Aladdin was the highest grossing film in 1992, the second highest ahead of Home Alone 2, uh, mm. Sister Act, Batman Returns, was this. Everybody's afraid of something. That's how we know we care about things. When we're afraid we'll lose it. How about you, Frank Farmer out there on the edge? Rachel, I don't want to get confused about what I'm doing here. I want to confuse. The Bodyguard earned $411 million worldwide. And this fact blew my, blew my mind because Lawrence Kasdan wrote The Bodyguard and he right. wrote it in the mid-1970s before he came to prominence as the screenwriter for The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark and Return of the Jedi. He wrote The Bodyguard. All those films were made and then The Bodyguard in 1992 finally saw the light Just of day. Waiting for wi- that Whitney is a Kevin. fact of the day right there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, as the for same the- person who wrote The Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, also wrote The Bodyguard. Yeah, Frank Farmer. And as for <laughs> oh, the Bodyguard's fun. veracity, unfortunately, we did a recent interview with top security firm CEO Ken Bombase, and he basically tarnished Frank Farmer's, Farmer's reputation oh, because no. he said that none of it was real. Load of nonsense. Frank Farmer in that <laughs> movie. Ken was like, you never pull a gun out in a crowded space. <laughs> Couldn't have, have done much more. And Chris was like, but what if it's for love, Ken? Oh, yeah, dear. Frank, couldn't have done much more in that movie. Now, Chris wasn't here when we played out our Stephen Seagal interview, but it turns out 1992 <laughs> was peak Seagal. And here's arguably his best-known oh, film. On. Now, a team of terrorists have taken over. Wake up the president. But there's just one thing they didn't count on. The cook. <laughs> Are you like some special forces guy or something? No, I'm just a cook. (laughs) (laughs) So when I heard this trailer for the first time when Rob played his Steven Seagal, I was convinced it was a spoof. No. Oh, dear. It's a real movie where he goes, no, I'm the cook. And he's so good. Casey Ryback is almost as good as Frank Farmer. <laughs> so two, two cult classic characters there in Ryback and Farmer. Cult heroes. And, and speaking of cult classics, how about this? What's your new book about? A detective. He falls for the wrong woman. What happens? She kills him. I've got another great fact that's going to blow your mind. The script for Basic Instinct <laughs> yeah. sold for $3 million before the film was even made. Uh, back in the day, spec scripts could sell for millions of dollars, and Joe Esterhas, um essentially wrote the script in 13 days and Oof. then sold it oh. off in 1990 for $3 million. Catherine and Nick were based on real people. Now, before he became a screenwriter, Esterhas was a police reporter for Cleveland's The Plain Dealer, and he said, I met a cop who just liked the action too much. He was always in the middle of shootings. He was a great cop on one level, but on another, you suspected he liked it too much. That's what Nick does in Basic Instinct. And Catherine says in the movie, he got too close to the flame. Yeah, shooter. 
as she nicknames Nick. That's it. That's exactly it. In the movie base. Ron Shelton's White Men Can't Jump told the story of Sidney Dean and Billy Hoyle, played by Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson, two men who team up to hustle other L.A. street basketball players. It's not about black. I don't mean to brag, but I'm the greatest. That's because you never saw me. It's not about white. Honey, I'm home. How much money did you make today? I miss you, too. I'm sorry, honey. It's about green. I want to find out how good you are, chump. Come on! Hey, Come on! I'm your white shadow! Now, Woody Harrelson apparently owes his career to the fact that Keanu Reeves sucked at basketball. Because part of the audition involved shooting ho- hoops at a court in Culver City's casting office. And Keanu Reeves was the favoured part to play uh, Billy Hoyle. And he just couldn't cut it when it came to shooting hoops. So Woody Harrelson actually acknowledged later that his lack of talent in the sport helped change his career. He said, I probably would have just been Woody Boyd, but for the fact that Keanu Reeves didn't play great basketball. Sheen was offered the part, Charlie Sheen, that is, after Reeves' failed audition, but he passed up on the chance. David Duchovny also auditioned for the role. And it was Woody that won out. That's a good movie. Big um, jump. Last clip from the from the movies. Um, Wayne's World was a big comedy hit this year. Uh, the movie adapted from the Saturday Night Live sketches with Wayne Campbell, Mike Myers, the enthusiastic host of a public access cable show from his parents' couch, and Garth Algar, yeah. played by Dana Carvey, his socially inept and genius sidekick. Phil, what are you doing here? You're partied out, man. Again. What if he honks in the car? I'm giving you a no-honk guarantee. Easy come, easy go. Will you let me go? That scene was inspired by Mike Myers' actual real life experience of singing the Queen song in the car with his friends. Have you seen Wayne's World, Sono? I have not, and I'll admit, I'm not a huge Mike Myers fan in general. So, oh, God, I love you- Personally, I think Wayne's World is totally in sync with your kind of sense of humour. I think you okay. will love Wayne's World. Okay. That's God, I love Austin now, Powers, surely. Mm, Come I don't on. know. I remember watching it back in the day because everybody loved Austin Powers when it came out. But in hindsight, meh. <sighs> Austin Take it watch Austin Powers. Wayne's World, I think you'll Yeah, enjoy. okay, I'll check it out. We'll see how well you know me, Chris. Just quickly, other big films in 92. Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Batman Returns, Candyman, Alien 3, My Cousin Vinny, Single White Female, and, of course, Aladdin. Um, in terms of television, very quickly, to the immense frustration of adults and the delight of toddlers, this uh, saw the light of day. Barney um, was a giant purple Tyrannosaurus Rex made of cloth who who sung, he danced, and was utterly non-threatening. Did you guys ever watch Barney growing up? Oh, you did? No, nor did I. I'm aware. Why Barney? I I was a rainbow man. I was 1980s. Rainbow was the thing I I used to watch. Zippy and... Yes, Zippy and Bungle. Yeah, that was a bit bit before my time as well, to be honest. <laughs> but uh, Barney, why? Yeah. But I'm thinking Barney Rubble and Flintstones. Yeah. Barney the Dinosaur. Who in that network's thinking that Barney's the way to go? It's a strange, 
strange name to choose. When it comes to prehistoric cartoon figures. Yes. Mm, Point. Yeah, when People magazine called the lyrics to Barney's songs stupid, an era of Barney bashing began. Mm -hmm. But toddlers, they absolutely loved it. They could not get enough of Barney. And as a result, he did very, very well. It was also the year that the Cartoon Network launched. 1,500 hours of animated content spread across 350 TV series and movies. The first 24-hour channel devoted to cartoons debuted courtesy of the Turner Broadcasting System. So those are the movies of 1992. We were a little underwhelmed by the films, it would seem. I felt a bit meh so far about 1992. Okay, all right. Well, it's got a lot of catching up to do Mm. in that case, in an otherwise strong start to the decade. Music was, it was an incredible year for hip-hop, alternative music. Just some of the bands that formed that year, Blink-182, Hanson, (laughs) Jamiroquai, Weezer and Wu-Tang Clan. Interesting. Um, This was the biggest selling single of 1992 in the UK with 582,700 copies sold. is an answer by snap it also reached number one in european countries like france germany italy switzerland and the netherlands yeah i actually had it it was my first ringtone on a mobile phone what's this song a vodafone flip up i think it was i absolutely i'm still obsessed with this song there's a line in there that's weird but it's brilliant okay so that's snap rhythm is a dancer this was also the year that tlc burst onto the scene. Their first single, I Ain't Too Proud to Beg, introduced the group and explained who represented the letters TLC. You had Tion T-Balls Watkins, Lisa Left Eye Lopez and Rosonda Chili Thomas. But this was by far their biggest hit from their breakout album. Did this ever make it onto your ringtone, Chris? No, I didn't. <laughs> Big fan of this song at the time as well. Yeah. You're a fan of this music. song? Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love this song. Old school TLC. It really is. This, this is not when they had Waterfall at the same time. Yeah, I think it Waterfall was around about the same mm. time as well. Um, Dr. Dre released his first solo album on December the 15th of this year. It was hailed as a masterpiece of hip-hop production. It was his first appearance outside of NWA. It was called The Chronic, and it included numerous appearances by the likes of Snoop Dogg, who we saw commentating earlier on the Jake Paul fight, kick-starting Snoop's own career, including this. Three into the folks, Snoop Doggy Dog and Dr. Dre is at the door. Ready to make an entrance, so back on up. Cause you know we're about to rip it up. Give me the microphone first so I can bust like a bubble. Had to search for the clean version. Yes, indeed. I'm just thinking right now, Dubai Eye listeners do not know what's hit them with this type of music. I know. The Chronic was so good. That whole album was epic. Yeah, nothing but a G-thang, that one. This song by an all-female R&B group on Vogue was recorded and released in response to the 1992 L.A. Rodney King riots. The video for Free Your Mind swept the floor at the 93 MTV Video Music Awards. Take a listen. It was 
nominated for Video of the Year, Best Group Video, Viewer's Choice Award, Best Direction and Best Cinematography. And here's a little link to what you talked about earlier. Isn't that song featured? Does Whitney Houston not sing that in The Bodyguard? She does. Sure she does. Does she really? Sure she does. That's a bit random, Chris, for you to know that. I know, but I'm sure she does. Arrested Development, um, lead vocalist Speech wrote this next song. Have a dollar. In fact, no, brother man, here, have two. Two dollars means a snack for me, but it means a big deal to you. Now, he said the song is, which is called Mr. Wendell, of course, is not based on a person named Mr. Wendell. It is based on experiences that he had in Atlanta, which is where he lived. And he used to sing to the homeless people that became friends with him there. That's a nice backstory. We yeah. expected that. I've never really listened to the lyrics of this song before, but now I will. Yeah. Black spend all their money on big colleges. Still, most of y'all come out confused. Go ahead, Mr. Wendell. Nice. And I know Chris is going to enjoy this next oh, one. Oh, yes. Teenage hip-hop duo <laughs> Chris Cross it was made up of Chris Kelly, known as Mac Daddy, mm-hmm. and Chris Daddy Mac Smith. <laughs> So they loved Mac Daddy and Daddy Mac in that order. They were 13 years of age when they were discovered by 18-year-old Jermaine Dupree in an Atlanta mall, and this was their first release. I mean, Mac Daddy, I'm loving that. I'm loving where you're going with this music selection, Rob. Yeah, we've done ballads. Been there, done that. That was 1980s. It's time for a fresh new look in the the early 90s. And I tell you what, this song, this one, we talked about this before on the show. It stayed in the charts forever. I still stand by the fact that this was the forerunner to Peter Andre's Mysterious Girl. I agree. But uh, I don't think we ever got on a consensus. Great music video to this as well. Yeah. We've great, definitely, great music we've definitely video. done an unfortunate rendition of this song at some point on this show. Yeah, we certainly have. <laughs> Need to dig that out. Oh dear. I remember when this was this was top of the charts forever yeah. that summer. And it absolutely is a forerunner to Mysterious Girl. It really Girl. is. It's the same song. It is. I'm it's... pretty sure at some point again we've discussed this. We ran the two songs back to back. It's not that close. Oh, it is. It really is. It really is. Anyway, uh, this one by The Shaman, okay? Uh, I actually had a little backstory to this one as well. this is great. Uh, This is just, this is classic UK dance fodder from the early 90s. There's a guy in the place who's got a bit of sweet face And he goes by the name of Ebenezer Good His friends call him easy when he is the main geezer And he vibe out the place like no other man could He's refined, he's sublime, he makes you feel fine They're very much maligned and misunderstood But if you know he's a, he's a real crowd pleaser He's never so good, he's Ebenezer Good You see that he's mischievous, mysterious and devious When he circulates amongst the people in the place Once you know he's fun and something of a genius He gives a grin that goes around face to face to face Backwards and then forwards, forwards and then backwards He's a, he's a geezer, he loves to muscle in That's about the time the crowd has shout the name of Ezer He's crotched in the corner laughing like 
I mean, you must have danced to that in your youth, Chris. Many a time, Robert. <laughs> I shudder to think what I was wearing when I was dancing along to that, but that is a song. So that's by The Shaman, and the synthesizer and guitarist Colin Angus said of this track, Ebenezer was intended to be both celebratory and cautionary, like holding up a distorting mirror to rave culture. The song, he said, went ballistic. Uncle Ebenezer, he said, is still looking after me to this day. No wonder. I mean, that song was a product of its time. This is a song that I'm hearing for the very first time 29 years later. Oh, and I'm going to say I appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it, it was, again, it's a as Chris song. would say, of its time. <laughs> and how can we not finish? I hope you've heard this one before from Right Said Fred. I'm too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. So sexy it hurts. And I am too sexy for I'll sing this every morning to myself. This is whilst just sprucing up in front of the mirror. Yeah. You got Dusting, this on in the background. Dusting myself with Dalkin powder singing this song. So, right said Fred is comprised of Richard and Fred Fairbrass, and at the time, guitarist Rob Manzoli. And Richard Fairbrass says that they had a loop playing on their computer and inspired by his dance studio experience, he spontaneously took his shirt off and started singing I'm Too Sexy For My Shirt. (laughs) (laughs) They thought it was hilarious, so they worked up a demo. And the demo found its way to the ears of a music promoter named Guy Holmes, who contacted the band, had them remix the song and turned it into a dance track. And apparently it just took especially the UK charts, by Storm. <laughs> and it, it was. I remember that, that song. I think we have all sung that to ourselves at one juncture or another. And I still do at the age of 34 now. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. There's the music. The music for 1992. Oh, yeah. The music has really reclaimed this year, big time. OK. Can sport help its cause? It was an Olympic year. It was a European Championship year. The Olympic Games headed to Barcelona. South Africa were allowed to compete for the first time since 1960. Germany sent a single unified team for the first time since 1964. Baseball was officially included as part of the Games. And Chinese diver Fu Mingjia became the youngest Olympic gold medal winner ever at the age of 13. But I think one of the key headlines from that 1992 Olympic Games was the Dream Team, and this is the voice of Magic Johnson. It wasn't about them being close. We didn't want any close games. We wanted to go out and just put it to them to really show them that we were the world's best. Get this, for the 11 NBA players that rocked up for the American team, Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, Carl Malone, John Stockton, Patrick Ewing, David Robinson, Clyde Drexler, Scottie Pippen, Chris Mullin. And there was a 12th member, Christian Leitner, who would go on to the NBA and their goal was to bring home the gold medal, which they absolutely did. They won all eight of their Barcelona games with an average lead of 44 points in the gold medal match against Croatia, who'd actually led in the first quarter. Seven American players scored 10 points or more, with Jordan himself notching a tournament personal best of 22 points. The team would win 117-85, and that is one of the all-time great teams ever assembled. (laughs) There was no... You know, there's no egos in that. They just 
essentially had a bit of fun. That's not being disrespectful to any of the other teams, Rob, but the fact that seven players scored ten points or more, it tells you that they're enjoying their basketball. Yeah. They're they're passing it around, they're they're laying it up for their mates to, mm-hmm. to score the points and just enjoyed themselves. And when you that's a heck of a roll call. Jordan Johnson, Bird, Barkley, Malone, Stockton, Ewing, Robinson, throwing Scotty Pippen mm. as well. I mean, Unbelievable. And obviously a lot of that team were part of the Chicago Bills team that were dominating in the NBA. They won once again in the 1992 NBA Finals. They beat the Portland Trail Blazers uh, four games to two to win a second consecutive championship. They were a team expected to win. A team that was not expected to win was Denmark. One of the great shock stories of... Sporting history, I would say. They were given just over a week's notice to get a squad prepared for Euro 92 because less than a month later, um, they'd actually not been allowed to participate in the tournament. They were only allowed to participate because of Yugoslavia's state of civil war. So they got called up very, very late on. Um, they'd missed out on qualification automatically, but now they were one of eight teams. That was back in, when the Euros was just eight teams. And it was in a tournament that was hosted by Sweden. It featured England, Germany and France. And a man by the name of Kim Vilfort proved to be one of the unlikely heroes for Denmark during the tournaments. Semi-finals, they were up against the Netherlands. They had battled valiantly to a 2-2 draw after 90 minutes. And Peter Schmeichel saved Marco van Basten's penalty the man who'd scored in the 1988 final. And it was the only spot kick failure of the entire shootout, which meant that Denmark would go through, sealing their berth in the final. Germany had beaten Sweden 3-2 in the other semi-final. And Denmark were the team that ambushed the hot favourites, Germany, in the final. Uh, John Jensen had opened the scoring. And uh, with 11 minutes on the clock, well, take a listen to what happened. And now Schmeichel does his job again and Klinsmann wonders what Germany have to do oh and uh, Christensen kicked out then this is Vilfort oh it's in it is in and it's Kim Vilfort amazing story that Denmark won the Euros quite extraordinary probably not quite as outrageous as Greece doing it no. in 2004 no probably but not nonetheless but yeah for them to, to come in when they shouldn't have even been there because of the political uh, problems faced by Yugoslavia for them to rock up and then just go on and win it just shows what a good amazing. goalkeeper can do for you as well uh, yeah, in absolutely. a tournament um, elsewhere now this perhaps doesn't seem like much but this happened a little later on this year in football all the best boys Leeds were English champions in May of 1992. Then a few months later, the English Premier League was born. And we all know what a behemoth that grew into being. Uh, In tennis, Andre Agassi won a classic, one of my favourite Wimbledon finals of all time, this, against Goran Ivanisevic. in disbelief. 22-year-old Andre Agassi in tears has won Wimbledon. 22. Amazing. Monica Seles won three Grand Slams. She lost to Steffi Graf in the Wimbledon finals. And a certain Tiger Woods made his PGA Tour debut at just 16 years of age. He'd missed the cut 
but that would not deter him. It was, of course, the year that cricket was dominated by Pakistan winning the Cricket World Cup. They won by defeating England in the finals. And it was the first time that coloured clothing, white balls and matches under floodlights were introduced in the World Cup. Off Scripts Time Capsule. Rating and ranking the years that have shaped us. Thank you for listening to the Time Capsule. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and please do, if you've got a moment, give us a review. This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe today.